Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Two Peas on a Pod podcast. You guessed it. I'm one of your hosts, Austin Griffiths. We love that you tuned in with us today, wherever you're from. Well, we have some special guests with us today, but our email is 2 ps 21 at yahoo.com, T-W-O-P-E-A-S-2-1 at yahoo.com should you have any feedback. And we'll even take criticism. We don't care. You can send it to us. But anyways, we've got some special guests with us today. We're going to jump right into it. We don't do personal testimonies very often, and uh, but it came to me from uh, their pastor about a personal testimony. And, of course, I didn't want to turn it down. Anything we can do for the kingdom of God and try to help somebody, that's what we want to do. And, uh, and so standing, or sitting rather, on the other side of the table today, we've got Brother Doug Christian. Hey man, good to be here. And we've got his wife, Sister Kelly Christian. Yes, good to be here. And their son, Brother Caleb Christian, is 13. It's good to be here. He doesn't have a mic, but he's just sitting over here listening, so we do have a live audience here today. <laughs> they are Christians, not just because it's our last name, but they are really Christians. But they're good Christian folks, and uh, we've been here um, in revival um, at the, here at the church they go to, at Brother Stacy Holden's. And so we're in North Louisiana, and I asked them if they would be willing to join the podcast today. So m- probably 95% of their testimony I've never heard I've heard very little, and so I'm hearing for, um, just like the audience, I'm hearing most of it for the first time myself today. And so I was told to start out right here, we're about two and a half minutes in, just start out where you met. Well, we met, it was uh, 1993, my dad had just passed away, we lived, my mother lived in Euless, Texas, and I had uh, been visiting her and a friend of mine at the apartment complex there where she lived, and uh, that's where I met Kelly. At my buddy's house, his dad's house at, rather. And it just so happens it was a place, uh, it was a drug house uh, where young people would go and they would purchase their drugs and go and meet there. It wasn't a place where you could buy them, but it was a place where we would go after we'd purchased them and hang out and, you know, uh, fritter our lives away. But that's where I met her at. I was 19. She was... 13? 12. 12. <laughs> 12 years old, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. My, my mother um, actually was going through a lot at that time. My parents had split up when I was about eight. And that's kind of when our lives just kind of went crazy. Um, they divorced, and my mom was kind of sowing some wild oats, and she left me with a friend at that same apartment complex to kind of take care of me for a while. And um, I I was actually friends with the little brother of the friend that he was friends with. And so I was there and just happened to meet him. And um, it was several years later that we ended up, you know, I guess if you'd call it dating. But <laughs> I was going to say 19 and 12, that's a yeah. pretty big difference. <laughs> yeah. We, we weren't really together, but it didn't take long for me to be kind of smitten by him. So <laughs> I had said from the time I was, you know, shortly after meeting him, I was like, one day I'm going to be with him. And I didn't know exactly what I was uh, asking for, but <laughs> the Lord, despite my <laughs> foolishness, he's worked it out for our good. So Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she was just a irritating little girl when I first met her, and uh, the year as the years went by, though, what's it been? Twenty eight years now. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So it just somehow worked out. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. We've been yeah, going on twenty two years of marriage. So yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. kind of the beginning for me. I had already been, um, you know, exploring with a lot of bad things because my mom had been absent and I got involved with the wrong crowd and. 
I was hanging out with a lot of older people anyway, and um, so anyway, our we ended up tied into this life together of you know, fast and crazy and drugs and um, all that sort of thing. And um, so it was a few years later. I was about fifteen, and that's when I moved to my dad's and got away from the drug scene, the hardcore drugs like we were involved in. Um, and, you know, trying to go through school and stuff like that, which I was still partying and, and kind of, you know, living wild and just not quite in that depth of uh, the meth is what it was. And so um, during that time, we reconnected. We had been apart for maybe six months to a year. Yeah. Um, and that's when we reconnected and that's when we actually started our relationship. Yeah. Um and got back involved in drugs and running the roads and being bad. Yep. <laughs> and you ended up in prison. Yeah. So I was 14. It was 1989. I was about to be 15. I was on the verge of suicide. A lot of different things going on in my life. Uh, we come, my, Just a little bit of a backstory. My mother was a, raised in the Salvation Army Church. And my dad was a Vietnam vet, Marine Corps veteran, turned, you know, bandito biker. And uh, just a wild, crazy guy, never around. And uh, I had three older siblings from the first time they were married, which they got married and divorced three different times. But I, there was three of them, and then there was a series of like seven years where they were divorced, and then they got remarried, and then they had three more of us. I was the middle one of that second group, and my dad never was around. And so it was my eldest brother who was a meth cook in and out of prison that mm -hmm. kind of raised us up as boys and taught us, you know, what his idea of being a man was all about. And so we had this warped view from a very early age of, of, uh, of life and uh, mom, you know, working two jobs to provide, take care of seven children by herself and just a difficult, difficult time. And there was no, not a lot of oversight, not a lot of uh, direction. And uh, there was a lot of us boys. I was the youngest of five. We had, uh, you know, just a, a crazy upbringing. But at the end of the day, I was on, like I said, I was about to commit suicide. And my brother, my oldest brother, uh, he introduced me to meth. Uh, and this was in 1989 when meth was a whole different critter than it is today. I was instantly, I believed in my mind, and I told people for years that it saved my life. I mean, it brought me out of my shell. I was able to talk to people. I had confidence where I, before I was just a total uh, introverted, you know, sort of suicidal kid, you know, just miserable. And uh, there's a lot of reasons for the reason I felt like I wanted to take my life, but none of, I mean, you know, going on down through the years, you know, past that, uh, when I met Kelly, I was a full-blown junkie. I mean, I'd been using drugs for five years. And, you know, before I'd ever even smoked a cigarette, or I don't even remember looking at any sort of, you know, wicked pornographic material before I got high. You know, I mean, I was, that was my first experience, uh, you know, with anything that overtly wicked. And I was instantly addicted and hooked. And uh, for years, uh, it plagued, you know, just our, my life, my mind, my choices. In fact, you know, fast forward in a little bit. I don't want to get ahead of the story, but I was 38 years old before I got completely delivered from meth from a meth addiction. Anyways, we met in 1993. Several years later, we got we started dating. I uh, 
left one night, left her behind at her mother's, and I went to go score some drugs, and I had taken her car that her dad bought her. She was paying for it, but he it was in here in his name. And, you know, when you're a drug head and you go buy drugs, sometimes you don't come right back, you know, two or yeah. three days a week maybe. You know, it's just a total different time frame. And that, I was notorious for that. Uh, you could have called me Houdini. I would be gone there one day and, and gone the next, and maybe months or years would go by before you'd see me again. And uh, But I took off. Anyways, they called the car in stolen. Long story short, I got pulled over in Grapevine, Texas, and uh, they arrested me for stealing her car. Well, in the process, they found drugs, and they found all kinds of other charges that I'd you know, that was, I was already a wanted man. I had warrants out for my arrest for all sorts of, you know, and it was stuff I was doing to support a drug habit. Mm-hmm. All the time running from God, by the way. Just knowing, you know, I was, I had somewhat of a, a upbringing. You know, we were uh, in junior high, but I was already on drugs. But, you know, my mom, she went to working for a new 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 boss, and she was a Assembly of God a lady in town there and we never had a car so anybody that would carry us around my, my mom would go with and this lady would bring us to church and so I did have a somewhat of a of a of a background looking back you know I, I I'd heard the truth to a certain degree at least that Jesus was real that he expected things from me and yeah. whatever a little bit I did understand I was not wanting to have any part of it but all through that my mom you know she was faithful to pray and to believe and uh, you know, she just didn't know what to do with us rowdy boys. And uh, there was not a man there to really corral us in and, and make it work. I got arrested. I went to prison for uh, unauthorized use of a motor vehicle, credit card abuse, and all kinds of, like four or five felony charges all at one time. During that time, uh, I was still plotting and scheming and just trying to figure out what my next move was when I got out of when I got out of prison, and uh, it was about six months later that I was on my way back. Does that sound about mm-hmm. right? Maybe. <laughs> six or seven months later, I got out, and uh, or after I got out the first time, I was on my way back with four more felony charges. That time I did some time. The first time I did 11 months. I uh, went back. All total, if you count the time I spent in county jail and in prison, it was four years and four months total time behind bars. Wow. But during that time, I just had enough. You know, I was done. I thought I was. And uh, there was some people coming in. And, uh, you know, I don't know what she's – she can tell you her story during that time. But there was some people coming in and going through. And during, Well, but right, right before I went to prison the second time, she, she, we found out she was pregnant with our oldest son. He was actually born while I was in prison. And uh, we weren't married yet, so I couldn't see him. Couldn't have anything to do with him. And uh, it was kind of a weird testimony, but I, I started going to church. I, I believe I got born again. And uh, really, really radically, things radically changed. It was one of those, you hear people talk about they got born again, and, and there was just a dramatic conversion, sort of like the... <clears throat> Paul's Damascus Road. I mean, I was a wicked, miserable, undone human being. And then like that, it seemed like I was uh, a totally different person. And uh, it was easy to serve God 
in prison, though. Mm -hmm. It was really easy. There was a lot of order. There was a lot of structure. There was a lot of discipline. It was very, very easy to live for the Lord without all the t extra temptations and all the extra things going on in your life. I mean, you got told when to get up, when to lay down, when to eat, when to work, when to whatever. It was simple. During that time, though, we, we decided that we were going to get married. I called her up on the phone one day, and I just told her, I said, well, we're going to get married. <laughs> <laughs> and the process of all that going on in his life, of course, um, before he went to prison, <clears throat> I found out I was pregnant. And I'd always wanted kids. I mean, when I was young, I, I always imagined this life with lots of children. And um, foolishly, you know, of course, I wasn't wanting to do it the right way. You know, I was 15, hoping I was going to get pregnant. So I was just, I was dumb. <laughs> but so I was 18 when I found out I was pregnant. And we um, actually, we had split up and I was kind of done with that whole, that type of drugs. I was still drinking and being stupid and partying and just running from God myself. I didn't have the upbringing really in church, but I did go to church a few times as a young uh, child. My dad's side of the family was Southern Baptist. My mom's side of the family was UPC. Um, so <laughs> I had the Baptist experience living with my dad at one time when I was probably about nine. My um, teacher at school was a Sunday school teacher, and she'd pick me up and take me, and I got baptized and made a confession of faith or whatever. And But of course, you know, that didn't stay because we moved off, and I didn't get to continue to go to church, and I wasn't really born again. But um Anyway, so I'd always thought I knew God, but when I was 18 and I was pregnant, reality hit, and, um, you know, I came to that crossroad, and I knew life wasn't just about me anymore. I was about to have a baby. So I was telling myself I was done with Doug because I didn't want to live that lifestyle anymore, and, um, uh, and you know, I don't know how done I really was because I just have been in love with him from the day I met him, <laughs> but... Um, but yeah, so here I am, 18, he goes off to jail, and that was probably the best thing that could happen to me because God was really trying to get my attention. I had always lived with different people. From the time I was 15, I'd skip around to this friend's house, that friend's house, but I'd never really been by myself. And my mom said, you got two weeks, you can live here, but you got two weeks to get a job, get your own apartment, and you're on your own. And so I, I did it. They co-signed for my efficiency apartment. I think it was $380 a month. <laughs> And um, I didn't have a car. The only thing I had in that apartment was a bed. And uh, I don't even think I had, you know, I had, didn't have a TV. I don't even think I had a couch the first night. But um, I was terrified. I was so scared to be alone. And my mom said, well, you did this to yourself, so here you are, you know. And she left me that night. And, you know, it was probably a good thing because that's how God really was able to knock on my heart's door. And so I knew I wanted to go to a church, but I had no idea what I was looking for. I just started looking in a phone book for churches, and I knew the Baptist church was boring, but the church I went to with my grandma was pretty exciting, so I just looked for Pentecostal. That's all I knew. So I found a, um, it was a Pentecostal Church of God church, and it was a Saturday night. Nobody was answering the phone, but um, I left, or I didn't even leave a message. I guess that was, they had the caller ID, and Brother Persinger, uh, Robert Persinger, um, he called Sunday morning, and he was said, I'm returning a call. And I said, well, I'm trying to find a church. I said, what do y'all believe in? Like I knew what I believed in, but he said, I'll never forget it. He said, we believe Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he never changes. 
And I remember thinking, man, that's the kind of God I need. (laughs) You know, I had never had that stability in my life, you know, from the time my parents divorced. And so that just struck my heart. And I called a taxi cab because I didn't even have a car. So I got a cab, got to church, and that was the best decision I ever made. Um, Those people loved me. I was, you know, pregnant and big already by that point. And, you know, I was probably a mess when I walked in that church full of makeup, tight clothes, you know, and um, but there was people there that loved me and and um, offered me a ride home and said, you want to come back Sunday night? We'll pick you up. And I never missed a service after that. (laughs) So um, so that was going on in my life. And I was, you know, surrounded by people that were walking with me and loving me and just teaching me along the way and he was in prison and you know he um he was growing and reading his bible and we were just kind of we'd contact each other and just feed off each other of what god was doing and it was just a wonderful wonderful time in our life of transformation of um, god really changing us yeah i remember during that time uh brother uh I, i the only people coming into the prison that i was at was kenneth copeland ministries Prison outreach. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> that was the only Ooh, volunteer terrible. group that would come in there. And so, yeah, they would bring in, and, and the prison was full. This was in Texas. And the prison, <clears throat> excuse me, was full of New King James Virgin Bibles. Uh-huh. And uh, I had no clue. I didn't know there was any difference, you know. <laughs> and her and I used, because Brother Robert Persinger, he was a, you know, a dogmatic King James only foaming at the mouth, you know, kind of fanatic. And uh, I didn't understand. And so we would have these, like, horribly, you know, uh, not very unifying conversations about the Word of God. (laughs) I'd be telling him, that Bible's of the devil. You know, I'm reading the New Age, uh, what was that book that dealt? Gail Ripplinger's book, The Language of the King James Bible. (laughs) I'm like, that thing's from the devil, you know. And he's like, just, it was, yeah, it was fun. (laughs) But we wound up making it through all that. There was some people that came in. Uh, Joe, ba- I can't remember him and his wife's name, their last name, but they would come in and visit after a while. They were, a, it was from a, like a non-denominational, full gospel, not really Pentecostal, but uh, s- supposedly spirit-filled church. They would come charismatic. Charismatic. They would come <laughs> see me, and you know they had a bunch of wacky ideas. But at the end of the day, they they spent the time. They came in and they they wanted to be a blessing to us and. I made it through. Well, that particular trip to prison, I had racked up federal and state charges. I was uh, what I was doing was I was making counterfeit uh, documentation for, like, if you if we had a agreement with some unnamed gangster organizations in South Texas, where we were making uh, driver license and social security cards for illegal immigrants to come in. And in 1997, it was easy to do. We had all the hardware and we had all the software, and we were and I was the guy that was put over the actual physical making of the documentation. And uh, it turned into a full-scale operation, not just driver's license, social security cards, if birth certificates, passport, you know, counterfeit, whatever, check, you, you name it. We we were doing it all. And uh, the guy that, uh, and at that time I was a member of a, of a known prison gang uh, trying to get away from it. And uh, this is before I got arrested, leading up to that point. And uh, the guy that uh, 
uh, brought me in in that world they're called your sponsor or whatever it's the guy that introduces you to the gang he vouches for you you go through a period of uh-huh. of testing and whatever and then they vote you in and now you're all of a sudden some kind of anyways that's where i was at and they put me on this job and he got arrested in waco for a a domestic violence charge and when they came in the hotel room he had a pistol and a huge bag of meth That's a very loud truck passing us right now yes sir <laughs> and uh he gave us up he gave he turned over evidence and uh set three of us up in oh, the gang man. and uh, it was really strange i'll never forget it it was so surreal i was standing in a store on uh in waco texas purchasing uh, there was a place called Computer Outlet, and at the time it was key card stock for a hotel entry door. You know how they you can get them at the desk; they let you in and out of the door. Yeah, and uh, that's the sort of the base for the driver license that we were using at the time. And uh, he had set up the purchase. I was in there with a uh, counter with a fraudulent checking account, and all kinds of tor. I had a pistol in my backpack. I had twelve sets of identification that were completed, ready to be delivered, uh, th- uh, and a 13th set that was in various stages of completion, 701 unprinted Social Security cards, all kinds of stuff in my back put. And uh, right on the back counter, back wall of, across from the counter is a big mirror in this store, and I'm looking in that mirror. They went to the back to get the package that I was supposed to pick up, and I noticed all kinds of activity on the road outside of the store. <laughs> And I'm thinking to myself, it was police activity, cars rolling in, you know, unmarked and stuff. And I remember thinking, man, somebody messed up. <laughs> and uh, wow. And directly, I just kind of put it out of my mind. And the door comes open. And it is, it was the Waco Police Department. It was also the United States Secret Service. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they, it was a big setup from the, from the earlier that day. They were waiting on me to get there. And anyways, it was a good thing. Uh, it was a blessing because really I could have went to prison. I, you know, if I'd have continued on, it could have been a lot worse. Uh, and I and I wound up getting uh, uh, two and a half years in state and the rest in federal time. Uh, well, while she was getting in church and I was trying to ser- you know do my best in prison to grow and, and I was trying to serve the Lord in the state in Texas in the state prison, um, I knew I had. Uh, some more time to do in the federal prison because my sentence they overlapped but they didn't cancel each other out and one morning about two o'clock in the morning I get a deal a call over the loudspeaker in my cell and it says Christian roll it up you're out of here you're all the way and I just knew I'll say well I'm going to federal prison they they, they they've come to get me they'll be here in the morning they're getting me booked they're getting me you know uh processed out of state and I'll be on the bus. I was excited. I was, you know, that meant I had a year and one day or so to do, and I could go home from there and do, you know, be paroled out. You know, bus after bus leaves that morning, bus after bus leaves, and different ones. It's just me and two other guys. It's like 8 30, 8 o'clock, 8 30 in the morning, and they bring in each one of us a set of clothes. And it was so, re- it was so crazy. I thought, you know, we were just going somewhere close because this was in Dallas. Uh, just outside of Dallas, and I thought maybe they were going to send us to the Seagaville unit, something like that, just right down the road. And uh, it was my clothes, my pants and my T-shirt and my old tennis shoes from when I got arrested. And I thought, how in the world did they get my stuff? 
Well, long story short, they had contacted her the night before and said he's being released in the morning. We need some clothes for him to leave in. Well, she's like, well, whatever, okay. So her and my mom, was it my mom with you? I was actually by myself, but I, of course, you know, I couldn't get a hold of him to tell him, and I'm just like, what is going on? I'm telling the people, no, he's supposed to be transferred. They said, no, he's he's getting out. Somebody needs to be here to pick him up because we're, we're kicking him out of here. And so um, at this point, you know, uh, my oldest son, Josh, he was not even quite a year yet, but he'd been in prison for about a, close to a year. So I'm just thinking, what is going on? So I get there and... So you've not met your boy yet? At one time. He'd met him, okay. but not... Y'all did have one contact with his... Mom brought him in. Yeah, because we weren't married, so I couldn't have contact okay. visit with him. So yeah, his mom had taken him up there, but that's yeah. it. So, uh, when yeah. When he was 10 months old, she was able to bring him in. I got to hold him and feed him and stuff and spend about an hour and a half or so with him. So yeah, he, he comes out and... Uh, which, of course, the night before, I was moving into a new apartment and to a, an actual one-bedroom instead of an efficiency. <laughs> and uh, um, so I called, of course, the pastor, Brother Persinger, and I was like, you know, they say Doug's getting out, you know. And so, And I knew, you know, he didn't have anywhere to go because all his family was drug addicts, and, you know, he couldn't just get turned right back over to the world like that. So anyway, we get there. He gets out. He doesn't know what's going on. He's telling me, he's like, I see him and I start to walk towards him and he's just holding his hands up like, no, don't come over here. I don't know what's happening. His eyes are all big. <laughs> so He's afraid that he's going to tackle you. Yeah. <laughs> I said, something ain't right, Kelly. And, and I told the lady, the sergeant at the desk that was releasing folks, she said, you can, you can, you got two choices. You can leave or you can hang out and eat lunch with us. But either way, you got to go home. You got to yeah. go. And uh, so I said, see you later. <laughs> and I walked out the door, and the whole time I feel like any minute they're just going to come tackle me and drag me for escaping or something. We get down the road. We stopped and had dinner. It was just a crazy time. And then went to the church. We went to the church. <laughs> yeah. over your shoulder. <laughs> I'm like, I'm taking him to the church. I don't know what's and, going on here. And just, just, so just moment by moment, there was this just this peace, you know, that kind of fell over the whole situation. Uh, I gave my a brief testimony to the pastor. He'd never met me outside of prison before. He'd come and visited me a couple times, and we talked on the phone. And he said that was like on a Friday, it Thursday or a Friday. A Thursday. So he, I didn't even have money because I'd used every bit of the money I had to move. And I was a single mom, you know, just barely making it. And he said, first thing y'all got to do is go get married. He yeah. said, so here's whatever it costs for the marriage license. He said, go get your marriage license. So we went that day, got our marriage license, and he married us two days later. Well, it was the next day. <laughs> we were supposed to wait 72 hours. Three. We only waited. We were supposed to wait three, three days. days. Yeah. We only so. waited till the second day. Just because, you know. It was did, a church night. We yeah. didn't want to do it on a Saturday night. But anyway, we threw a wedding together in yeah. um, two wow. days. Um, I had this dream of, you know, the, the women listening will appreciate this. I had this dream of how I wanted my wedding gown with this long train. And, you know, and it was fun, funny how God cared about the little details that I cared about like that. And um, there was a lady in the church that just so happened to have a dress that was my size that had exactly what I had always pictured for my wedding gown. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so no money, but we had a, a a tux we Her had a gown a we um, we were able to put a little wedding together and our family came and so um we yep. did it god's way and 
he helped us, but then we were in for a little bit of a surprise a little after that. So during we get married, he asked me to give my testimony on on Sunday night, and they had a bunch of people coming they wanted to hear, and so we gave I gave my testimony, and it was I'm more of a of a preach testimony, test to preach, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And uh, that Monday, he called me. And he asked me, he said, would you come have breakfast with me? And I said, yeah. And so I went and had breakfast with him. And he's, you know, he's like, man, I just feel like the Lord's got a calling on your life. He said, I wonder if you'd pray about, you know, help being the associate pastor here. And I mean, it was just crazy. Things were snowballing so fast. And it really wasn't a good time, but that's how it happened. And uh, so he prayed about it. But the thing happened, what was so weird is I'm, I'm starting to tell people like, my family and friends that knew what was going on, man, the Lord, he broke down the gates of brass. He ripped down the the walls of stone. He set the captive free. I said, I mean, this is crazy. There, there was nobody. We had called the board of pardons and paroles. We'd called the Bureau of prisons. We'd called everybody we could think of. I didn't even have any parole. There was no paper. There was nothing. It was just craziness. Well, about the 11th, Tenth, ninth day, Kelly said, well, let me call. We were still just, I'd already got a job. All kinds of things had taken place, just this quick nine days. She called one more time, and uh, they put her in touch with the Texas Rangers. Is that right? Or the U.S. Marshals. Marshals the U.S. Marshals. And the U.S. Marshals said, oh, yeah. Yeah, we're look, we, we, where's he at? And uh, she said, I'm not going to tell you. Oh, no. <laughs> and... Uh, they said, well, you can either tell us or we'll come find him and we'll put a fugitive status warrant out for his arrest. But anyway, either way, he's he's got to come back to prison. It was a clerical error. It was a total mistake. They let me go accidentally. And I had 11 days out, total full 11 days. Well, they, they told my wife, they said, well, look, I'll tell you what. You know, she pled with him, look, this is what's going on. This is where we're at. He's already got a job, da, 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 da. He said, look, you don't, I feel like y'all are going to do the right thing. He said, if you'll give me your word that you'll bring him to the courthouse Monday morning at 10 o'clock, we won't come looking for him until then, until after then. And uh, so we said, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll be there. And it was just, we were just supposed to be able to go see the judge, explain to him, you know. Anyways. So our pastor went. Yeah. We had to drive to Waco, so it was a couple hours away. and. Uh-huh. Everybody was prepared to go and, you know, vouch for him and just beg the judge. And we got there, and they handcuffed him, and they said, yeah. Never even let me see the judge. Like, ha-ha, just oh, kidding. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> so. The U.S. Marshals, they don't, they, they don't have no authority to, to schedule an appointment with a judge. They were just saying whatever they thought they had to say to get us down there. Save them a trip from having to come and get him, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, so oh, that started man. a whole new journey, yeah. especially for me. You know, here I am. I was only 20 and had a baby and. Um, you, thought he, you thought he had him back I thought I had him back And this was our miracle Man. And God was, you know and, and God was God, we were able to get married And, you know Which I don't know if that was the wisest thing, really <laughs> But but anyway It was probably at that time It is definitely the will of God now <laughs> but, He's sitting over like uh, <laughs> It's news to me <laughs> You know what I mean But, uh <laughs> But it was definitely a hard year. They sent him to Oklahoma, so it was about a four-hour trip 
to drive up there to see him. But we would, we, because we were married and everything, we would get to go in and have the whole day together. And so, what was the time period on a year and a year and a day? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I knew so. I had to do it. It was just, it was just a. I, I always and your told, ministry when you went yeah. was pretty, pretty amazing. I told people after that that God just you know, had mercy on me and he blessed me with a little break, a little vacation, mm-hmm. you know, to see my, get married, see my children, you know, and, <laughs> and just, you know, get a little recharge before I had to finish it up. And people jokingly, you know, thought it was, but really uh, you talk to administrators and people in that business, you find that it's not that uncommon. They make clerical errors and people get released pretty regularly wow. without, Pretty rough. Well, tell how you were um, in prison. Well, like. well, yeah. So we got in there, and well, you know, like I said, I was, uh, I was up even there, even in El Reno, Oklahoma, at the FCI. There, I was. Uh, I have tattoos that mark me. Even today, if I were to go to jail for some reason, uh, they would separate me and put me in with the gangsters because of the tattoos that I have on my body. And uh, at first, I would be separated, segregated to make sure I didn't have any enemies on the yard. And then they would oh, yeah. stick me in a place where I had to deal with all that nonsense because that's the, you know, the marks, they, they kind of isolate you from general population in a lot of places. But I, for some reason, I went into a house there. It was a no-smoking dorm. It was the only one on the facility at the time that didn't allow smoking. And uh, I got in there. And I just began to tell people, and I had, there was people there that knew the people that I was associated with uh, in the world, in the free world, or the, that I were. It was in the past, and uh, just God moved supernaturally. They, uh, the guy snitched on me and set me up, so there was they they allowed me to gracefully bow out as long as I never agreed to never you know represent myself by that name anymore and. You know, if I would, there was a lot of stipulations, but essentially at the end of the day, they said, you know, you know, we'll let you go. There's no problem. And so I was able to get in and minister the the, the prison. Uh, they used us as uh, inmate ministers. Uh, we got a lot of, I got a lot of experience. I mean, sometimes there would 1,500 people would show up to church, you know, and wow, we would get to preach and uh, just to grow like, like, like. Like a wheat, you know. That scripture, I think about it sometimes when I think about my time in there. It's say that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. You know, it was a time in my life where, where I was growing in the Lord. I, I didn't have any good teaching other than what, you know, I was getting through the mail from certain individuals. Uh, but there was no Pentecostal. And, and still, my experience with holiness, Pentecostal, uh, was very, very, I, I didn't even know there was such a thing. And, you know, even our time with the Pentecostal Church of God, they were, uh, in a lot of ways, uh, with their standards, holiness people. This particular church was. Now, I know the denomination as a whole has, you know, veered pretty dramatically away from their roots. Uh-huh. But these particular people were still, uh, for the most part, uh, holding to that line. And, there was uh, that was our experience, and we didn't even know what it was. But anyways, ultimately we got out, or I got out, and uh, you know things changed. Yeah, so kind of during that time, you know, of course we had a year. Of, he was in prison, and I'm out, and you know I'm all in in the church, and 
um, it was a great time of growth for me, really looking back. As hard as it was um, in that moment, it was probably the greatest time of my life as a Christian because I learned how to pray (laughs) and I learned how to get a hold of God and to trust him. And um, so he was doing a he was doing a great work. And uh, it, it was it was an awesome time. And then, of course, the day came where Doug got released, and um, we got to start this life we had been dreaming about all this time, you know. <laughs> so it was uh, it was amazing, and I think we we were off at a, at a good start there. Of course, I was young and kind of stupid, so <laughs> Stacey would come out with some of these bad ideas and, you know, bad doctrine, and I would just be like, well, Brother Persinger says, you know. <laughs> so... There was a little bit of uh, animosity that began to build up, I think, and he can kind of tell more about that next part of our story. But um, we had a we had a great time together there. Okay, so we, whenever you know that time of our life was going on, like I said, I was pas- I was associate pastor by then, preaching every Wednesday night, most Sunday nights. Uh, we were going out preaching. We were, you know, just, the Lord was really, you know, different ones in our family was getting saved. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember preaching one night on that scripture about the candle of the Lord. Then, you know, the uh, the spirit of the man being the candle of the Lord. And uh, now, uh, you know, one of the mothers in the church came in and got healed from a miraculous thing. Just God moving. It was a great time in our life. And um, we did a lot of growing and um God was just really helping us to get a good foundation. Well, we're going to wrap that up for this first part of this testimony, so stay tuned next week for the rest of Brother Doug and Sister Kelly's personal testimony story. We appreciate you coming on the podcast today. We'll see you later. Child, well done. There will be no regrets for me.